The following is audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you would like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org. So I'm going to ask Brandon to come up, and he's going to share with us today. I promise I'll be back at the end. You can look forward to that or not, so it's up to you. Uh, where I live, it's in the low to mid-60s, I think, today. <laughs> i got to be careful. Uh, the th- funny thing is I probably dressed about the same because low to mid-60s is freezing for us. So um, <laughs> temperatures are relative, I believe. Um, as Angie said earlier, you know, um, it is such a blessing when we, whenever we come back. Um, whether you're aware or not, you always make us feel so welcome here and uh, like family. And uh, it's like we had only been gone two weeks and not two years. So uh, my whole family, we, on behalf of them, I say thank you um, for your support, for your prayers, uh, and for welcoming us whenever we come back. Has anyone ever told you to be careful what you say yes to? Well, if I listened to that advice, uh, I probably would not be standing before you today. You see, while I was in a seminary, just down the street at Denver Seminary, and uh, at the time we were attending this church, so like you, I was sitting in one of those seats. Uh, I worked part-time for Youth for Christ USA in their short-term mission department. So during the school year, I would do admin, register people for trips, and in the summer I had the privilege of of taking groups of teenagers uh, to different parts of the world. And so in that role, I was also experienced to the broader Youth for Christ International family. And as I got to know people, I was made aware as I was approaching graduation of of a new project that they were creating, they were thinking about doing. And it was called Youth for Christ University, and we were looking at uh, maybe a unique new way we could help educate our, our staff and volunteers around the world. And as I was approaching graduation, someone said, well, what do you think about uh, maybe trying to lead that uh, project? And so uh, after thinking about it and praying about it, you know, talking with my wife about it, I said yes, even though I was a little scared about what I was saying yes to. Because I'd never done anything like that to that scale, and I had no idea what it would be like if even to succeed what that might be. Well, after about five years had gone by doing that work and some others, I was approached with another question. You know, what would you think about moving to Cyprus, um, the country of Cyprus, and being the national director for Youth for Christ there? So after thinking about it, praying about it, talking with my wife, I said yes. Even though this time I was more than a little scared. Um, I had never lived in another country. I had never led a a national ministry. But another five years went by, and uh, I had passed on the leadership to a local, to a Cypriot. And I was beginning to think, you know, this is probably the end of us living overseas. Uh, I don't know if there's a role that I could do in, in Europe and continue to be here. But I was approached by the area director of of Youth for Christ for Europe, the Middle East, and North Africa, and he asked, well, what do you think about being the regional director for Southern Europe? And so you're noticing pattern after thinking about it, praying about it, and um, I said yes. 
And I was, again, a little bit more than scared. I had never worked with multiple countries and advised them on, on how to do ministry and, and to reach young people for Christ. But another few years went by, and I was made aware of a new role, and this was to develop global young leaders in YFC International, and I was asked, what, what do you think about heading up that project and leading that? And so after thinking about it, praying about it, I said, yes. And again, I was scared. I had never done this before on an international level. And as I stand before you today, that is my role now. I'm the director of Young Leader Development. I work in, in developing leadership for around 18 to 30-year-olds. It's our staff and volunteers who are reaching then the group behind them, the teenagers, taking the gospel to them. So some people might tell you, be careful what you say yes to. But again, if I had listened to that advice, I would have missed out on some amazing opportunities over these past 20 years to work with Youth for Christ in an international context. So before I continue, I wanted to, you know, just to highlight, to encourage you. I know when you turn on the news, you click on the website or open the newspaper, the world can be pretty discouraging with what's going on right now. But in the autumn, as Angie mentioned, we had an international conference, and at that conference, I oversaw a, a program. We had nearly 200 young leaders from about 50 countries around the world. And God's doing some amazing things through these young people. You know, there's one young woman in Europe who is looking at ways in her country of connecting with business people who will then help her find young people who are entrepreneurial, and, and, and kind of invest in them to help them get their business ideas off the ground. And through that, they're partnered with a, with a godly man or woman to mentor them through that process. Uh, I was contacted recently by one of our um, staff in, in the Americas who's already doing young leader work in her country, but she said, you know what, I think we can do even more. Would you mind sitting with me for a little bit and sharing what are other countries in the world doing to train young leaders in their parts of the world? There was a young man at the, at the conference in, in October who towards the end of the week came up to me and he said, you know what, is there something that we could do to thank the staff of the hotel? You know, they've been really good to us and I want them to know that we appreciate all that they have done for us. It wasn't until a little bit later that I found out that this young man had spent most of the week without his luggage. It hadn't arrived, he had spent, you know, I don't know how he did it actually, and yet without, and with, a, a, he could have been complaining, and yet his mind was on how do we say thank you and make others know that they're appreciated. And in the past, I have uh, mentored a young man in a Middle Eastern country, and I've seen him grow, mature, and develop, and now he's playing an important role in, him, in the national ministry of this Middle Eastern country, reaching young people there with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You just don't read that in the newspaper, see that on the news, or read that on the website. So be encouraged that God is doing amazing things around the world in the lives of young people. But the reality is, you know, God doesn't really need our help. You know, he could just speak like he did when he created the world and change everything in an instant. For some reason, and this has always baffled me when I, when I think about it, he lets us 
broken people play a part in making his kingdom come. You know, when you repent, you make a decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're not just saying yes to him, but you're also saying yes to getting involved, saying yes to helping God make his kingdom come. And another reality is, you know, that most of you, in fact, probably, you know, maybe not, if not all of you, will not have the path that I did that leaves you overseas. Most of you will not have a path that even leads you maybe into professional ministry like the staff at this church. And so as you sit there, you might be asking yourself or kind of wrestling with, well, so what? What can I do? I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm not smart enough. I, I don't know what to do. Even if I tried, what difference would it really make? So today I want to encourage you with three things that might help you answer that question of what can I do and help you maybe begin to take a step in the direction of getting involved. So there's three things I want to first look at. Taking that, that first step starts with, comes out of a place of remaining or abiding in Christ. Second, I want to encourage you to learn to make your default response to opportunities that God puts in front of you, to make your d- default response yes, or sure, or I'll try. And third, I want us to look at what would it be like if we all learned to be comfortable being uncomfortable. So depending on your version of the Bible uh, and what translation you use, you might have heard of a verse or a passage that, that talks about this remaining or abiding in Christ. And uh, remaining or abiding in Christ is kind of one of those Christian things we say. You know, there's, there's a few different things that we as Christians say because we know we're supposed to. But if someone were to actually go, what does that mean? You, you, uh, I, don't, I don't know. And so when we talk about remaining, sometimes we, we don't really know what that means. And, and up till recently, when I thought about remaining or abiding and what that means, I kind of pictured that as, as something that was passive. You know, it's, it's kind of like, oh, you, you want me to just remain here? or abide here, okay, I'll just kind of get comfortable, I'll lay down, and I'll just, I'll stay here, I'll remain. I'm remaining, don't bother me. But I think, and I've come to learn, that remaining is something different than that. And we read about this passage in the, in the, the Gospel of John in, in chapter 15. In the previous chapter, in, in 14, Jesus had been comforting his disciples. He'd been encouraging them that the Holy Spirit would be coming would help empower them to do ministry. And so that's the context as he then goes into this passage about remaining and abiding in chapter 15. In verse four, Jesus is speaking and he says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we read in these verses that the key to bearing fruit of revealing God to the world starts with and comes out of remaining in Jesus. This this passage makes it pretty clear. There's no other way to bear fruit. And so for me, I was like, well, I I need to understand then what, what does it mean to remain like I said, as I became to look more into this, I, I realized it's not something that's passive. In the book, 
union with Christ, the way to know and enjoy God, uh, the authors are, are Rankin, Wilborn, and, and John Orpberg. They write this, abiding is an action. Here is something you must choose to do. Jesus commands us, abide in me. He commands us to rest in him. Like a dog commanded to stay, we must exert ourselves not to become distracted or move away from our master. And Jesus makes it clear that the amount of fruit that comes out of our lives will be direct result of how much and, or how little we heed his commandments. In fact, he goes on to say, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. That's why the sailing metaphor is instructive. Life with God is not like a motorboat where we are in control of the power and direction. But neither is it like a raft where we sit back and are carried along. It's like sailing. While we can't control the most important thing, the wind makes us move. That doesn't mean there's nothing left for us to do. We have to draw the sail to catch the wind. We must labor to be brought near. And while I like that, that sailing metaphor, uh, the one that gave me the aha moment as I was reading was that one line about the dog. Now, if you've ever owned a dog, known somebody with a dog or seen a dog, and spent any time around them and as they, they, they were being taught or told to stay, you learn for most of them it's not an easy thing. You know, from a distance it looks easy, right? If you were in a park and off in the distance you told their dog to stay and you're like, wow, that, guy, that's, that dog's really good at that. But as you continued to walk and you got closer and closer to the dog, you'd realize the dog is shaking and it, it's maybe making some whimpering sounds as it's doing, it's, it's with all its might trying to stay in that one spot. It so badly wants to run after that squirrel it just saw go up a tree. Or it just saw another dog owner throw a ball and it wants to get there before the other dog. Or maybe when it was trained at first how to stay, every time it did it right, it got a treat and it wants another one of those treats. Remaining in Christ is just like this. From a distance, you might know someone, a Christian, who fits this definition of someone in your mind who remains in Christ well. And as you know them from a distance, you might think that it's easy for them. But as you get to know them better and you learn about who they are, you learn that they regularly spend time reading the Bible and in prayer. You learn that they make church a priority on Sunday so that they can go worship with other believers. They're active in a small group, a life group, because it's there that they get to know other believers and other believers get to know them so they can support one another in the tough times. They can celebrate in the good times and they can do life together. And then as you get to know this person even better, they let you in on a little secret. None of this comes easy for them. They, just like you, have other things in their life pulling for their attention and their time. But like the dog, they fight. They're active in remaining, even when they don't feel like it. That is remaining. Remaining is not passive. And it's here, out of this place of remaining and abiding in Christ, that we can begin to bear fruit. We can begin to have an impact for God. And one of the cool things about God is, um, in fact, I think this is amazing, 
is he, we don't have to wait till we're perfect at remaining to begin to bear fruit. You see, it's a process that we're not even gonna be able to fully realize in this lifetime. And because it's ultimately Jesus who makes the results happen, he can lift us up out of the areas in which we're coming up short in. And so as you begin to actively remain in Jesus, there's a couple of things that I wanna encourage you to do to begin to get off the sidelines, get involved. And the first thing as you remain in Christ is I want you to begin to look at the opportunities that God is putting in front of you. And what if your default response to those opportunities was yes? Or sure, or I'll give it a shot. Because too often, our initial response is no. Because, right, we, I mean, we all have a million reasons why we should say no to things. And, you know, oftentimes, most of them, if not all of them, are legitimate. You know, I'm tired. I don't have time. I don't, I don't feel well. I'm not good at that. If I said yes, I wouldn't even know what I was doing. There's probably somebody better at doing that than I would be. And let's say I did say yes. Even if I did get involved, what difference would it even make? Kind of like that question put forward to the man we heard about yesterday. What difference does it make for the, what you're doing in just that one life that is saved is important? And so with all these, these things going through our mind, we default to no until we can be convinced to say yes. Well, in Mark 12, uh, chapter, chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, we read about a woman who I think was probably a lot like us. Jesus says in, in verse 41, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more money, or I'm sorry, more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. Like I said, I think this woman was probably a lot like you and I. We, we don't know much about her. The Bible says only two things. Uh, she was a widow and that she was poor. But this woman showed up at the temple that day. And we often focus on this passage, and, and you know, if you hear a message or a sermon, it's on the sacrifice, sacrificial giving that she gave out of. And it's valid, because that's what Jesus points out when we read this passage. But as I was reading it recently, I, was, I began to think about, what if she was just like us? What if she woke up that morning tired? She'd had a long night, didn't sleep well. You know, her husband's died, who knows how recently, and one of her children has just been causing issues for her at home. What if she was so worried about where her next meal would even come from that she didn't even want to get out of bed to worry about it? And what if she thought to herself, you know what, I've only got these two copper coins. What difference will it make if I put them in anyway? And so, so instead of going to the temple that day, she remained at home. Then when Jesus and the disciples arrive and they, they sit across from where people put in the money, that widow never came and put her two copper coins in. But instead of staying at home that day, instead of remaining at home, this widow decided to remain in God. And she was obedient to God's will for us to give out of her finances, and so she went to the temple that day. And because of that, she bore fruit 
And her story is being used by God 2,000 years later to encourage you and I to be sacrificial in our giving. So who knows how God will use that little bit that you might be able to give? Because you see, we don't get to decide the impact of our actions. God decides the impact. So don't worry, I'm not saying you have to say yes to everything. But instead, again, what if we approached it differently? Where instead of starting with no and having to be convinced into a yes, we started with yes and had to be convinced into a no. You know, last week I was standing out in the lobby and I saw on the TV screens, not sure how many of you else do this, but I was watching them, they're there. Um, and there was a church slide that said the church needs help in these areas. And they were connection, music, communication, tech, hospitality, audio, and facility. What if you said yes to one of those things? You know, this Sunday is Mission Sunday. And when you get up and, and leave after the service is over in the lobby and in rooms two and three, there's going to be people from different missions and ministries. And they're probably looking for one of two things or both, and that's volunteers or financial support. Well, what if you said yes to one of them? But I want to let you in on a, on a little secret. You know, it's not just here at church where you have opportunities to say yes. The people in your neighborhood, your coworker, your fellow student, they're all opportunities for you to say yes to God and show these people how much God loves them and wants to know them, and he wants them to know him as a savior. And by the way, if you do want to say yes to one of the things on the screen, talk to David. So, and David, if anybody says, you can thank me later that they want to. <laughs> the second thing I want to encourage you with as you figure out what can you do is I'd like, my, I include myself in this, is how can we learn more and more to be comfortable being uncomfortable? And I get it. You know, we all like to be comfortable, myself included. You know, I don't know about you, but I love to have things a certain way. I love them to be to a certain standard. And if they're not, I figure out how to get them that way. You know, and much of what we do in our lives is to make it comfortable. You know, our society, our culture tells us all the time, get a good job so you can send your kids to a certain school, so you can buy a certain house, you can drive a certain car, you can have the things in life, eat at certain restaurants, take nice vacations. And look, those things in and of themselves are not bad. You know, many of them are blessings from God. But while we're doing those things, while we're getting those things, are we also looking for opportunities, looking for situations to put ourselves in that might make us uncomfortable, that might make us weak? And again, society would go, what? Are you, are you crazy? Why would I want to make myself uncomfortable? Why would I want to be weak? And so I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, and, and Paul writes this about Jesus saying to him, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, uh, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says that he, for the sake of Christ, delights in his weakness. Now, if we're not doing that, then we're probably living a pretty good life, but we're not experiencing the blessings of knowing Christ's power in us. Because the strength we have when we're weak doesn't come from ourselves. It becomes through Christ living through us. And I don't, I don't know about you, but when I think back and I look at my life, I've never matured, I've never become more Christ-like, a more, even a better person when I was comfortable. You know, there's no reason to when we're comfortable. Things are good. But when we're weak, when we're being insulted, experiencing hardship, persecutions, difficulties, all these uncomfortable things, we're growing because Christ has to show up in his strength through us. Uh, I read a, a book recently uh, by U.S. Special Forces soldier Jason Van Camp, and it's called Deliberate Discomfort. And in the book, he writes this. Remember, comfort is the enemy of achievement. Spiritual strength is achieved through pain and suffering, both internal and external, so you can be dedicated and certain about your beliefs. Spiritual strength will help you overcome personal hardships. Voluntarily putting yourself in an uncomfortable position means that you are willing to achieve. Complacency kills. So how would your life be different today if you became comfortable being uncomfortable? If you voluntarily put yourself in positions that, that were awkward, were different, that were out of your comfort zone, what might God do with you? What might God do for you if you made yourself weak? You know, I'm, uh, if you know me well, you know that I'm extremely introverted. Now, if you only know me from Sundays, you may, <laughs> no, you're not. Um, but if you know me well, I'm extremely introverted. I'm also a person who doesn't like change, as I mentioned a little bit ago. I like to know what's going to happen, and I like to know they're going to happen in a certain way. And uh, when that's not the case, I'm uncomfortable with that. I, I, I don't like trying new things. So if you come up to me and tell me, hey, there's this new restaurant, let's go check it out. I'm like, I already know the restaurant and the food, the thing on that menu I like. Uh, why do we have to go try something new? Now, my wife is the one who likes to try new things. So you can imagine when trying to pick a restaurant what that's like. I'm also a person who doesn't like to be wrong. I don't like to not know the answer to things. And I don't like to be embarrassed about that. There are some people who are more than fine with that. They don't mind not knowing or being embarrassed and looking foolish, but that is not me. Yet, in my life, I find myself in situations that are the exact opposite of all these things I've just listed. The reality is I live in a country that is different from the one I spent most of my life living and growing up in. And I want to tell you, most things in this country are very different than the one I'm used to. And I've lived there over 10 years, and uh, almost not a day goes by where I'm like, what, in the, what, why? Why is that, what in the world is going on? 
You know, things aren't the way uh, that I would do them, and there's not a quick fix. We don't have Amazon. I can't jump on there and go, oh, I can fix that. I'll get on Amazon. Um, you know, and, and for my work, I travel a lot, and it takes me to countries where the cultures, the customs, and last but not least, the food is often very different than what I know. I remember uh, one of the first times when I went to the grocery store where I live, and uh, I don't know why I remember this, but uh, I saw an item on the shelf, and there was a sticker on it. And I thought, that's an amazing price. I'm going to get that. And, you know, I like that item. And so I went up to the register, and they're putting my food through, ringing it up, and the price came up for that, and it was much higher than the sticker. And so I said to the person, I think that price is wrong. And they laughed at me and said, no, that's not the price. That's how much it's off the price. And I looked at that, and the price was still way more than what I wanted to pay, but I was embarrassed. I wasn't going to say anything. Uh, so I ended up paying for it and leaving with a high, highly priced item. So where I live, when I travel, I'm, I'm often wrong. I'm often, I, have no, I don't know what I'm doing sometimes, and, and I'm often embarrassed about it. But you know what? I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, I've been able to experience Christ's strength through me in ways I could never have imagined. I've grown, matured, and been sanctified in ways I could never have imagined. It's not been easy for me or for my family. There have been times where I've cried out to God. There have been times where I've questioned him. And there are even times where I just wanted to give up. I've come to realize it's when I'm weak that I am strong. And again, it's not strength that comes from me. It's a strength that comes through Christ. And so I want you all to hear me. I'm, I'm not telling anyone in here to go do what I've done. In fact, don't go do what I have done. That was God's path for me, not for you. But you know what? Are you at least asking the question, what might God have me do here in Centennial or Parker or Aurora, wherever you live? What might he have you do in your home, your work, your school, wherever you spend a lot of your time? And what can you do to make yourself uncomfortable in those places? And the list is going to look different for each one of us. But I'd like us all, myself included, to begin to be, learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Because this in turn will impact the previous section of saying yes to things. That's often the time, the reason why we say no is because we don't want to be uncomfortable. So today, as you ask yourself and God, what can I do? I want you to remember these three things. It starts with remaining in Christ. Like that dog, and, and I apologize if you're a cat person, but like that dog, you got to actively Work hard. Do everything in your power to remain in Christ. To actively spend time with him. To remain in him. And as you remain in him this week, if you go out and you get in your car and go home, I want you to remember to consider doing two things this week. That might be a little different than the mindset you normally have. One is, what would it look like for my default answer to be yes? So as God puts opportunities in front of you, I want you to have to be convinced to say no instead of convinced to say yes. Say yes. Get involved. See what God will do with you in your life. 
And finally, learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Because when you are weak, you are strong. Not with your own strength, but with the strength that comes from Christ. You know, I believe if you do these things, you won't have to ask the question, what can I do? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we acknowledge first and foremost, you are awesome. You are amazing. You are incredible. In the beginning, you spoke and everything came to be. And we realize that you could, you could do that today. But for some strange reason, you include us. You include your creation in taking part in, in sharing the gospel and sharing your kingdom with the world. So I pray for all of us in here or watching online that you would give us the strength, that you would help us to remain and abide in you. It's hard. We live in a world that's wanting our attention in so many places, oftentimes in, in good things. And so I pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment on what to say no to and what to say yes and how to make you and remaining in you a priority. And then I pray that you would help each one of us as you put opportunities in front of us, we would initially think of, I could do that and have to be convinced that maybe that's not a good idea. So again, give us wisdom and discernment as we look for ways to say yes to the opportunities you give us. And oftentimes these things are gonna make us uncomfortable. So I pray again through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Because when we are weak, we are strong. Not with our strength, but with your son, Jesus Christ's strength. So I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you'd like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org.